Hello and welcome to Dinish Guarda Cities ABC YouTube podcast series. Uh, we are a fast-growing YouTube podcast thought leadership series and channel focused on profiling the leaders of our time and inspiring people, thought leaders, CEOs, authors, and technology people, and uh, as well academics that are changing and shifting the narrative towards our world. We are in amid uh, a lot of challenges, but a lot of opportunities as well. And although sometimes if you look at the news, you might think that we are in a very dystopic world, we have fantastic things happening as well. So in, that, in this podcast series and the YouTube channel, we've been as well highlighting ideas, products, inventions, software, especially people, profiles, careers, and as well, people that actually can create solutions, narratives, and as well can actually understand our time and come up with actually ideas and ways to cope with the challenge we have, the problems, but as well coming up with solutions, because I think every question has an answer. And if you stick with the questions, we won't get any answers. So we want to focus on that. So this YouTube channel and series are, of course, part of the citiesabc.com platform. That is a platform to create a wiki list and the terminal for cities and the, for all of us citizens and the organizations. And as well, in partnership with the openbusiness.org, openbusinesscouncil.org, that is a platform for creating a directory for businesses and the personalities around the business and the directing teams. The, that uses blockchain artificial intelligence. Uh, this is, of course, distributed in the Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, SoundCloud, and a lot of other channels. So today we have someone uh, that I've been uh, interacting with for a long time and that I have a big respect and honor as well to be speaking with. So Effie Pilaranu, Pilarinu, and I hope I spell it right, although I know her for a long time, you only need to repeat it. Uh, I studied old Greek, but it was a long time ago. So uh, Effie is an independent finance, fintech, and blockchain global thought leader and advisor. She's been uh, one of the top experts in fintech and finance uh, in most of the lists worldwide, from Analytica to Thinkers360 and a lot of other platforms. And she's as well a PhD in finance and a seasoned Wall Street professional with a strong career in Wall Street and in the financial industry. And recently as well, one of the leading fintech, not just influencer, but as well a researcher, writer, and as well as someone that has been actually making very solid um, research into what is happening on this. So she's been uh, listed in a lot of lists as number one, women influencer in the world in fintech, number three in the financial sector, and uh, as well um, in a lot of different lists. And as well, one of the things that I really like about her work is um, uh, the way she's been creating the platform Daily Fintech, which has been um, engaged with a lot of uh, uh, topics around the present and future of finance and everything, all the challenge that we've been having as well. She's as well a huge uh, audience around LinkedIn, Twitter, and LinkedIn, she's close to 200,000 followers, which is a big achievement and congratulations for that. And as well, she's been uh, participating in multiple books, like the author of the Wiley Fixed Income books with Frank Fabosi, and as well, an author in the Wealth Tech book by Wiley for 2019. And as well, she was part of my book, that is the 4AR AI blockchain fintech culture reinventing nation. So I could actually go for, for a lot of more things. Uh, Effie, it's an honor to have you here. And I wanted to have these, although we've been profiling our websites, but I wanted to have a talk face-to-face -face and as well about all the topics we're facing in our times. It's a pleasure. I mean, we, we saw each other um, 
in uh, early March when I was in London. That was uh, the last uh, trip uh, for a blockchain conference there and the last sort of trip with a focus like that. So it's a pleasure to be with you. And thank you for all the introduction and, and the briefing. May I add, there's a, a new book that is coming out by, by Springer, The Theories of Change, and I've contributed a chapter um, on that. And it's, it, I say, because it's interesting, you know, these processes, books uh, uh, um, take long time, especially from the big uh, publication um, houses. And I was looking at the chapter that I wrote a couple of months ago, several months ago, to make sure that, you know, my perception and my views and my insights uh, haven't changed. And I, I say this because, you know, we dwell in, in innovation and in change. Um, and... And really, we have experienced lately a lot of changes at several levels. So I'm wary of that, uh, uh, of, of looking at what, how I viewed things, you know, six months ago or, or a year ago and what has happened. And I'm sure it's the same for you too, right? It is a very crazy world, I think, especially with COVID-19. Like you said, March was the last time that probably both of us travel. And if you travel right now, you need to be in quarantine. So it's, it's a big change for everything, for, for our economic ecosystem, financial ecosystem. And there's a lot of questions I want to, to ask on that level. So I want to start by your background. I think it's particularly interesting because, um, well, now you're a global thought leader in the areas of fintech and finance, as we just mentioned. But... I want to start with your basis. You come from uh, Greece, which is actually the birth of democracy and the birth as well of civilization, as we know it. Most of the, the global myths and all the things come from there. But I would like to see how from Greece you became this global now base in Switzerland. A bit of that background. I think it's important for people to have a bit of your personal history. Yeah, it's very interesting. I actually was born um, on a, the island of Zakynthos, which is part of the Ionian Islands between Greece and Italy. And um, the history, uh, uh, the cultural history of that region of Greece is important to understand because it was the part of Greece that was never occupied by the Ottomans when, when Greece was occupied for 400 years, uh, but rather occupied or, or with, from the Venetians or the British. So there's a very different culture there. I grew up there and... Um, I must say from the early days of my childhood, um, I had a huge curiosity for the world. Um, I learned English uh, at a very early stage. I wanted to learn French. I did so without many means and, and I used to write poems. So that's where I was coming from. And then in my early middle school years, I was lucky enough to have an amazing math teacher who became my idol. And I, I only wanted to study mathematics, theoretical mathematics. That's what I did. I wanted to do research in topology. And um, that's really where I'm coming from. And I still believe that um, the analytical thinking uh, that, mathematics as a language offers is not comparable with any other science. Uh, 
Um, and then uh, life brought a change for me because I really wanted to do a doctorate degree and I couldn't do that in Greece. And I decided that I should go to, to the U.S. And that's how I did my PhD and my um, MBA in finance because I was connected with a professor uh, that was uh, my professor of differential equations and was at um, in the U.S. And he connected me with business school in the U.S. And that's how I got to do that. And then I did my PhD on chaos theory. Uh, this is the late uh, uh, 80s, early 90s, and how it affected the stock market. So you see where I'm coming from. I thought I would uh, um, follow uh, a more academic career, but uh, I got a job offer from Salman Brothers in New York. And I've always been a very open person. I, I love um, to explore new things. For me, being in innovation um, in, in, in a context that allows me to learn more and, and open my horizons has always been important. So I started my career on Wall Street at Solomon Brothers, a very particular culture there that allowed me to see uh, how different think, uh, thinkers, what uh, Matteo Rizzi calls in his book, misfits, corporate misfits, uh, there, there were a lot of them at Salman Brothers during that time in the early 90s. Um, and, and I had the luxury of, of um, being around them and um, understanding what it means to think uh, differently. And at a very fast pace, because obviously Wall Street uh, was for decades, I would say, the more fast-paced corporate environment that one uh, could, could be um, dwelling in. Um, even on Wall Street, I moved around a couple of times. In a decade, I moved uh, four times, and I was always moving to explore different departments, different areas, different companies. Um, and, and I had um, something... <laughs> an insight, a, a sense of where the trend was. So I was moving from fixed income derivatives to emerging markets, to, to Latin America, to, and, and the timing was always good, despite the fact that I, I lived through several crises, you know, Mexico crisis, Brazil crisis, emerging markets, and so on. Uh, so that taught me uh, a lot. And then uh, my life um, changed because I got married in New York with a Greek diplomat. And that led me to traveling the world. I've lived in six countries. And in every one of those, um, I worked. I reinvented myself. I did different things. Um, I've um, uh, worked as um, a corporate executive uh, consultant. Uh, I've worked uh, part-time teaching at McGill University in uh, Canada. I've worked for a hedge fund in California, um, doing uh, fundraising for them while living in Europe. And that brings me 
to um, Switzerland, where I've been for seven years. And that is where I completely said, you know, I'm, I'm only going to be focusing on innovation. And I did it the way that feels right for me. So what does that mean? I, for me, it's all about um, sharing my understanding of what is going on, my own perspective of how financial services are being transformed globally and uh, bringing the perspective that I have because of my finance background, but also the rest, the, the multicultural perspective and the, I would say the, the social human understanding that one gains over time with, with their experience. Because nowadays, I think it's, it's wrong to, to think of disconnected areas. So, you know, my area is, is fintech and therefore I don't understand anything else. You cannot not understand anything else. You have to be able to, to connect, uh, you know, the, the social trends, um, politics and money. Uh, I always wonder why in, in our schooling, in my schooling, I got the PhD in finance and it did not have any history lessons. I think of it today and I still think that it is completely crazy. Uh, I mean, we can talk about this, we can go on a tangent about why, you know, uh, money and finances are not taught from an early stage because, yes, they are not the means to an end, but they are an integral part of our life. And, and we need to understand it. And that is the only way that we can bring purpose and intention on, in how we, we do business, which is and has been all about financial results, right? We are not taught in our cultures that we need to maximize the economic value, which is much broader than the financial value, right? The economic value is much more about what we are doing, what the value that we are producing, you know, be it uh, some, some uh, material, um, uh, we're, pro we're making tables, we're making computers, or be it a service, we are in the software business or we are in the touring business. The question is, what economic impact does it have? And that includes the ecology, it includes how we treat communities, people, all the intangible values that we, that we care about. I think I'll take a pause here and, and uh, <laughs> we can pick on any of the topics that I touched upon and talk a little bit more about those. No, that's a lot of, uh, a lot of things that I, I let you speak because uh, it's quite fascinating, but I, I want to go. So I think it's a very interesting point that you mentioned. Um, you studied your PhD in theory of chaos, uh, which is quite, or at least related with chaos and, uh, and change, which is one of your areas as well of expertise. And this is critical 
first of all, and then you mentioned right now history. <laughs> so we're talking about precisely. Uh, we are. So I want to go a bit, uh, a bit picking in some of the things you've been writing, and as well, uh, you are as well involved in a lot of this thought leadership. But I want to go through. So through these kind of topics, um, let's say if you look at uh, what is going on in the world, we have a bit of a chaos, of course, and finance is a bit of a chaos organized around the financial centers and then all around the economic uh, powerhouses and, and banks and organizations, regulators. But as well, we are going through a big change in society, both in technology, that is probably the biggest uh, shift in technology. For instance, if you look at the last actually the last 30 years of the Homo sapiens, this is the biggest revolution we had. Um, and as well, there's a huge perception, you are as well into blockchain, that this touches as well in terms of our personal individual way of dealing with the money and the concept of money and the concept of finance. The organizations like the established organizations, we actually, you come from, and the new emergent organizations. So this is a bit of a chaos right now that we have. So I would like to pick from... Uh, this theory of chaos, uh, and as well all this, the studies you did about, around change, and as well the context of history, how do you see this moment we're living in? Because I think one of the things that I like about you is that you have that capacity to go in history, to look deeper, but as well I think we need to look at the facts if we want to understand our times. Because I, I think one of the biggest challenges we have right now is that people are struggling to understand what is happening around them. All of us, I think even the ones of us like doing continuous work to understand because things change so fast. But at the same time, there are things that are really very uh, continuous in history that we need to pay the bills, we need to get our salaries, we need to get all these things. So how do you see this in the context? Just from a theoretical perspective, I think it's interesting from your PhD and the research you've been doing. I want to touch that before we go to your career and more in fintech things. You know, um Chaos theory uh, is, is not about um, chaos in, in the layman, uh, layman's uh, terms. Uh, I mean, if I were to explain uh, to somebody uh, outside of physics and mathematics, chaos theory, it's about modeling phenomena that appear random, chaotic, that there is no pattern. Actually, there is a deep deterministic pattern there. And some of the elements of, of um, a model that is chaotic is the fact that it is very sensitive to the change of certain parameters. And uh, also the element of attractors. So I see that we are in a, in a stage in our society where there is that sensitivity around certain parameters. Um, we have a lot of sensitivity around human rights. Um, we have a lot of sensitivity about uh, racial discriminations. And then if you think of the attractors, I think that is where we are lost a bit. We, we feel it's our human nature uh, very uncomfortable when we don't know where we're going. Uncertainty is something that we humans are not comfortable with. And um, 
I think that is where we, we uh, increase our fears and uh, react automatically, negatively, and pessimistically, if you want, to what is going on. So in my view, I feel that we are at a stage where the attractors are not clear. In chaos theory, there's these local attractors that cr create um, uh, local strong patterns. And, and um, this, is, this is where we are at. It's unclear, there's uncertainty, we can't handle it. And um, that is where a lot of um, philosophers and spiritual, spiritual teachers are saying in this era that this is an opportunity for us to increase our consciousness level and our awareness level, and that will help us deal with this un uncertainty. I don't know if I'm, I'm uh, clear, but I, I do feel that um, the, the level of uncertainty has increased. Uh, we can't uh, deal with it, and we have to find new ways. We are actually reaching out to technology to help us, but actually we are at an early stage and it's creating, it seems to us that it's creating more complexity um, than, than it actually is. But I think that is where we are at, at this early stage of, um, of, of uncertainty. Um, what solutions are we going to find to deal with this? This is where there's the, the interesting questions. For example, is a, a universal basic income a solution to the current more down-to-earth problems that you already alluded to, Dennis? For example, you know, salaries and jobs and, and um, the inequality of, of wealth or the redistribution of wealth, is that uh, a solution? And um, is it the technology like uh, central bank digital currencies that is going to bring that? Or is it induced by trying to quickly fix a deep social pro uh, problem and we're using technology to solve it and we're unaware of the consequences? Yeah, that's that's. A, I want to go a bit deep on that level. So, especially coming to the financial sector, which is particularly probably the most complex one that we have, and as well the the central system uh, when it comes to our probably our civilization. Because in one end, so I think our financial sector is probably the most advanced when it comes to technology, more advanced actually than actually the governments by far. But at the same time. We have like multiple diversities in in the financial sector. So, so and I think picking in what you said, the attractors or the complexity that we have is that we have the legacy financial systems, we have the emergent financial system, and then you have like the advanced financial systems, like the distributed um, systems, and now we have DeFi, a lot of these different things. So, how do you see these three levels? Because this this speaks about what you said about the change. Because in one end, the human rights, the even the 
Um, the investment uh, based on sustainability is all right now behind this. The conscious of the, the social impact is all behind this, but we have these three different levels and, and it seems like none of them is working with each other. But at the same time, on the middle of this, so let's say legacy systems and established organizations, uh, emergent big players, and then we have, of course, the more radical disruptive players like the, the crypto, the digital currencies. But then we have as well the Silicon Valley and the Chinese mega players that are right now taking most of the economy. Sorry, it's a big question, but I want to understand how do you see this kind of context? Is this a bit of a, a very complex uh, system? It is, that, it is. Yeah. It, it, the way I've been thinking about this is the last two decades, um, we were witnesses of um, a, a war, if you want, between the legacy systems that you mentioned and the fintechs, the innovators, whatever they are, the, the Revoluts, the uh, SoFi, or whichever companies, right? So that was going on. There was a war and there was the question of who's going to win, who's going to replace, and, and so on. And now we are <laughs> watching something very different. Uh, that movie, that episode is not playing anymore the wars between the incumbents and the fintechs. And we have the blockchain for finance sort of sector that is very small, but genuinely disruptive to both how uh, the, the incumbents, the legacy systems and the fintechs, because the fintechs essentially, uh, they, if you think of it, they aimed to provide the same products and services as the legacy banks in a different way, better, cheaper, more efficient, uh, more accessibility and so on, but pretty much the same. Now we have, as you, you said, the third uh, emerging and generously disruptive uh, um, wave of blockchain for finance that is wants to, to manufacture financial services in a completely different way. And within that, we have the centralized and decentralized emergence. So what I see here is we can't distinguish all these changes from the deep social changes that are imminent. Because think of it, I mean, if we are going to go to some degree of decentralization in finance, that will also penetrate other um, uh, layers of our life, whether it is education, whether it is work, it will penetrate everything. So we can't think of it uh, separately. This is all a wave of change that is coming at us and pressing questions, are we going to change the ways we collaborate and organize? And finance is, is one aspect of it, but there's many other aspects. Um, so it's all coming to us and, and asking this question. Uh, we're orga we've been organized by cities, by, you know, uh, governments, by, you know, educational 
institutions that we attended. We've got passports and credentials from them. That's the way we've learned to, to organize our lives and to evaluate um, our productivity. So I see that we are really challenging all those um, ways that we, we um, see each other as individuals, as uh, um, agents in the economy. So if I were to summarize, I'm saying that each of us, we are agents, economic agents, with a broad sense in, in the economy, and we are um, trained to interact in a certain way. Everything that's coming at us right now is asking the question, can we change that? And, and DeFi, you know, the, the extreme disruptor is, is offering us a way to change that. Um, it even goes in is, it, to the point of asking fundamental questions like, what is a fundamental question? Should people work? What does work mean? And should work be the way you earn what we call a respected living? How can we be, you know, how can we create value in different ways? more cooperatives, more, uh, you know, um, communities that are not physical or do not belong to corporations. We, we are challenging everything, the notion of a cooperation. So I think it's, it's all the same. We, we are uh, putting a question mark to all the institutions and the entities that we are used to, and I find it fascinating. And I think that um, we have to uh, have more of these discussions between us and have younger people and um, people with um, uh, different diverse experiences exchange views and ask these questions because that's the only way to, to start getting some um, answers. Yeah, that's a very good uh, uh, actually point. And I think that is the critical points for our time because I think we are facing all of these things and they are all happening at the same time, but we are all a bit lost. And I think even, uh, I think the challenge probably is right now when it comes to governments and the relationship with financial service, because in one end, for instance, speaking in what you just said, Let's say if you look at the legacy systems and the emergent fintechs, they're playing according to the rules. But then when we come to DeFi and even a lot of cryptocurrencies, which is right now still half a trillion dollars, more or less, if you look at all the ecosystem. And uh, of course, it's small in the, in the, in the, in the, in the $100 trillion global economy. But at the same time, it's already being quite disrupted because the point is that a lot of players are right now using it to amplify other things. Even Switzerland is, is getting into this. So one of the things is, so when it comes to the financial services and FinTech, and which is your area, of, one of your areas of major expertise. So how do you see the industry right now and uh, a bit more from your points and the research you've been doing right now? Because it's, it's a key 
of course, we're thinking looking at the macro picture, but looking at specific things. So we have a lot of different things, but how do you see the, the part of fintech and as well, how do you define it? And how do you think we can actually come up with the solutions that you're talking about? Well, you know, the innovation in fintech that has happened um, over the past two decades varies by region considerably. So we have major innovations in the East, especially in, in China and in emerging markets, be it Latin America or Africa. And the reason is because there wasn't, you know, the, the legacy systems there. So it's easier to start from scratch and have, you know, um, complete, uh, really pure mobile banking services, for example, with M-Pesa in, in Africa, or um, the uh, WeChat, uh, Alibaba, Tencent, um, uh, Techfins in Asia that are really much more innovative than what we have in Europe and, and in, in the US. So there's been, you know, the, as I said, uh, we have this variety across uh, different regions. In the Western world, what I would say is there's been definitely a lot of progress in terms of uh, opening up, um, uh, um, uh, making uh, services more accessible, reducing the cost of different services, be it in, in investing, be it in, in lending, and so on. But I think that, you know, most of the capital that has funded these innovations is not only, of course, from Silicon Valley, but it is Silicon Valley-minded. So they are, they are funding growth. They are funding big companies and, and trying to see who's going to be the next uh, sort of Amazon or Google in, in finance and so on. So in that respect, nothing has really changed. And in some cases, the companies that have been funded, the fintechs that have been funded, are not fintechs for good. They're about, for example, making it easy to trade with no commission fees. Well, that's not what the society really needs, right? We, we, I mean, it's good for the end user, but it's of no social real value. Um, we haven't solved, for example, the issue of remittances, a huge global market. And to this day, I don't understand why we don't have a fintech with zero commission remittances. Why do we have a fintech with zero commission trading? Zero commission remittances has social value. So I guess what I'm saying is that there have been a lot of um, uh, changes and a lot of value created in the fintech space. And you and I might be happy because we have some type of transfer wise or, you know, uh, Revolut or, or some such. 
but still we capital is not allocated the correct way and this is a finance issue capital markets are pretty much operating in the same way capital markets are about how you allocate capital whether it's in the public markets or in the private markets there hasn't been a lot of genuine disruption in the venture capital model and on how you know innovation is is funded so without being negative i'm pointing out what is the genuine change the genuine change has been in um really delivering the same financial services in a better faster cheaper uh, way but the allocation of capital um is has not changed at all and there has been little penetration in what i would call good, uh, fintech for, for good uh, and in terms of you know scaling uh, fintech for good innovations it's reasonable to expect that this will come from some emerging markets uh, the opportunities are clear in africa in latin america and and in uh, southeast asia and that is why a lot of the money is now going towards those places yet to be seen uh, whether we will have concrete results yeah and i think this is kind of a very good point to make and uh, it opens a lot of questions and i think probably the biggest question i have uh, shifted a bit from what i wanted to ask you after but is how do you deal with the geopolitics and as well and the mission history but as well the cultures because like you said for instance if you look right now in terms of financial services we have major three cycles in the world in terms of geolocation we have uh Europe where we based with UK and now Europe a bit fragmented with Brexit and everything else which has been complex and of course Switzerland and then we have like uh, some centers then we have the US and Latin America which is kind of a bit of non-existent in terms of powerhouse international then we have china right now that became in the last years actually even worlds of eric schmidt 10 years ahead of the rest of the world so but the rest let's say we still have around 50 close to 50% of the world population like you said without basic financial uh, um inclusion um without even of identity we're talking about that so how do we tackle this because in the one end there's the private players there's the public players and there's the governments and the big players but we're not still solving this so there's a there's a big opportunity for the financial industry that is still not tackled and a lot of the big players are actually just washing their hands from africa because they're afraid of the challenges that came with africa and uh, like you mentioned for the southeast asia which is going to be the the fast growing part of the world civilization in terms of population and in terms of young population um so we have big challenges and big opportunities but we still not tackling this so from your experience from all street to actually switzerland where you based which are still leading uh, capitals of finance and technology and innovation how do you see this kind of the challenge because we need to solve this problem and i think this is actually where there's a big business and financial possibilities but as well a big challenge from geopolitical social a lot of uh, technological legacies and as well innovation 
You touch upon a great point uh, when you mentioned, uh, Dennis, about digital identity, which is uh, really core uh, to building, um, you know, the financial inclusion that we should be um, uh, building and, and offering uh, um, globally. And, and unfortunately, we haven't made a lot of progress on that front. Uh, what I see there is that the, the way is for smaller countries to make the decision to uh, adopt some kind of self-sovereign digital identity and start from there and build up um, on top of that, the digital, if you want, financial services. We haven't seen that yet. There are some um, pilots, if you want, or, or uh, intentions out there, but um, uh, nothing has really uh, happened on, on that uh, front. Um, maybe we will see it out of the Nordic countries. Uh, those are the possibilities that I see um, building on the digital identity. And I say that it is core because having looked closely and discussed with entrepreneurs that are um, that were and are looking to implement blockchain in, for example, crowdfunding, which could be considered an area that is fintech for good. Uh, in terms of allocating capital to, to good uh, projects and so on. But unless you solve the problem of digital identity, self-sovereign digital identity, you are really, uh, you, you're not able to get the value from blockchain uh, all the way through. So, we have to be patient. There's going to be a lot of resistance from governments and agencies in terms of adopting these core elements that can allow us to, to put um, this together. Um, I think it's also similar to asking the question, when will we be able to replace the existing internet, the existing web, with the next generation web, web 3.0, which is hopefully a more fair um, internet than the one that we have now that is very convenient but is not fair for the reasons that we both know. It was not built uh, for this kind of um, increase in, in, in traffic, if you want, in, in use. Um, and it has resulted in these huge duopolies, so to speak, you know, the, the, the gaffers of, of the world that are organizing um, the traffic on the internet and reaping all the value. How can that change? That is where the conversation really goes. 
If we can't change that, then any other change at the fintech level is, is, is marginal, if you want. Yeah, it's a very good point. And I think it comes back to that at the moment who controls the, the world economy and the world finances effectively the players of the digital systems. Uh, and I think we're talking about the big Silicon Valley players and the big Chinese players, which are at the moment the hegemonic financial players. So I think on this level, there's an element and coming back to your research and change and chaos that is right now coming up and creating a big disruption. So when it comes to fourth industrial revolution, and especially with AI and blockchain, these technologies are, are shifting very, very fast. And for instance, with AI, we can already the entire world, social, psychological, um, which has been happening the last four years, whatever you like it or not, there was the AI that disrupted the world moods. It was the use of fake news, the use of disruption, propaganda in a very psychometric level that we don't talk so much, but it's AI. It's the first narrow AI that is already disrupting the entire global economy. And this has massive consequences in the capital markets because as you see, uh, of course, we have COVID as well that is not uh, technology on the middle of this. So in one end, we have COVID and actually we still manage to keep the society moving forward because otherwise we have 40 million people affected. We probably will have like 100 million or 200 million or even half a billion people affected. If it wasn't for the, the capacity of technology, we still kept the ecosystem. But in the other end, we have the technology right now coming up with disruption that changes all the financial systems and everything else. So how do you see this velocity and change? And you are very, uh, you've been researching a lot of change because this, the problem right now is that there's all the problems we've been talking so far, but there's an element of change that is out of the scope that we are tackling right now is that things are happening much, much, much faster. And at the moment, we have already algorithms, you mentioned that funds, that actually can actually predict most of the things, can actually create a Brexit, ultimately, was partly created by a lot of technology. Let's, whatever we like, political views or not, the, 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 the division of the, the UK population was done with fake news and psychometric use of Facebook, and as well the US. And, of course, in China, we have the social credit and the social... Um, ecosystem that is right now using technology. So I know that you're very particular focus on social impact and as well uh, a conscious investment or sustainable investment. How do you see this with the velocity? Because the problem right now is that as the world is still coping with COVID and all these challenges, we have the elements of technology that are not stopping and actually going very, very fast. And then, like, uh, like uh, um, Ben Gorsley put it, we still are putting most of the money in gambling, uh, gaming, gaming. And, and, yes. and killing. So, so I think we, that is a fact, uh, whatever we like it or not. So how can we reverse engineer this and as well not create a completely dystopic world? Because we can actually get this dystopic world happening very fast without even getting out of the control of people that, that we think we control and we're not controlling at all. You know, Dennis, I think that this is not the first time that these um, weird uh, <laughs> conditions are happening. It's just that, you know, because of the um, uh, speed that, that information travels uh, uh, nowadays, we are all aware of it and, and more uh, disturbed and more uncertain and more fearful. Um, Let's not uh, try to, <laughs> to see the world as if there's a, a war that is imminent and we are all scared. Actually, some people 
do think like that. Right? Their emotions are comparable to the emotions of people that are um, threatened by a war, you know, 50, 100, 200 years ago. We're not in that situation. Uh, again, for me, it's all the uncertainty that is created that is, we have to manage it. Um, and the attractors that I spoke earlier about, there are some clusters of, of people and initiatives that are really looking to take advantage and are not benevolent and are going to use these technologies of the fourth industrial revolution, um, not for, for good purposes. I think as individuals and in the teams that we work and um, the impact that we have, it is our personal choice and our responsibility to choose more benevolent uses and reduce the amount of time we, we spend in, in worrying about the negative um, um, consequences that are impending. Life teaches us that what we fear, you know, that will happen in the, the next five to 10 years, me and you, our kids, for our kids and so on, it's typically things turn out better. So for me, I try to manage this and focus on um, what I do today, my contribution, and uh, I want to, to make a parenthesis. I think that each of us, we are teachers, whether we like it or not. By the way we do business, by the way we interact, by the way we speak, by our choices. So in that sense, we have a choice to uh, use these technologies in benevolent ways and spread that message. Otherwise, we can't control uh, the rest. The system is really very complex, and that is uh, um, how we can uh, contribute. Yeah, I like that positivity. And I, I, I actually myself, I divide myself as uh, between the technologist that is really seeing things going out of control and then the, the person more like the teacher, or at least the person that wants to learn that creating solutions. So I think we need to keep this, but I think especially when it comes to finance and things like that, I see that the things that are getting a bit out of control. So as the last uh, uh, two questions, we've passed already one hour, but it's been a fantastic, very, very deep uh, discussion, but I think quite in, in important for what we're facing right now. So we've been creating a lot of, uh, research books that you mentioned in the beginning about the chapter that you wrote about change. And as well, uh, you are you created as well the platform um, uh, FinTech, uh, the, the FinTech platform that you've been actually uh, uh, promoting and doing or you write a lot of things. And as well, now you have YouTube channel and other things. So can you tell us about the things you're doing? I think for the audience and for the people, this is about you as well. Uh, what are you doing to create this positivity? What are the channels? Where are the books? Where are the essays? And as well about the platform that you created, the, um, that is quite a, an amazing work as well, especially when it comes to the, the areas of research, the daily fintech. So uh, 
you know, I've been writing um, for the last five years, uh, started on Daily Fintech, one blog a week, always um, uh, with insights around innovation, uh, especially in fintech, but uh, uh, not only. Uh, for example, this week um, I was writing about the resilience of Bloomberg and Excel. Bloomberg, obviously, it's, is something very much uh, entrenched in financial markets, but at the wholesale level on trading floors and asset managers and so on. Very old technology that we all know that it can be reproduced at one-tenth of the cost um, of Bloomberg, and yet it is there and, and uh, not disrupted. And then Excel, which is not uh, a strictly a financial tool, I would call it, it is a ubiquitous personal and business <laughs> tool, and, and here it is. And I'm talking about why this is happening and also what we are seeing, what is happening with Excel. Excel actually is becoming a platform integrating AI. I don't know if you've seen, Dennis, that OpenAI has licensed exclusively to Microsoft GBT3, um, uh, the, the amazing language processing um, innovation, uh, tech innovation. And, and now it's been integrated, it's in beta testing, but it's integrated on, on Excel. So back to, I've been writing on Daily Fintech for this, uh, for these innovations and always thinking of business people and professionals and, and sharing with them what these um, advancements can mean and, and highlighting them, what are the important ones. I do a lot of content creation beyond that. Uh, I have launched also a YouTube channel and I, I do some interviews, but I also uh, share my insights um, always on FinTech or um, uh, Fourth uh, Industrial Revolution uh, technologies or books. Those are the areas that I'm interested in, I do um, weeklies. And in terms of, of work, I've been working this year, especially and, and increasingly with fintechs, but also with um, uh, tech companies that need this thought leadership and independent thinking. And I work with them in the crossroads between business development, marketing, and, and PR, helping them with their campaigns and creating really innovative content for them and, and with them. And to me, this is, this is very exciting because for the first time, I'm seeing more openness in large companies to, to experiment with this and to earn media rather than pay, you know, to, to get um, uh, something published. And earn media the way I can teach that you can earn media. And I think this is, you know, uh, for me, it gives me a lot of uh, a pleasure 
to um, share how you could do things differently instead of uh, trying to to trick algorithms and and pay ads to get your your voice and your message, whether you're communicating with your clients, with your prospects, or just with the the economy. So I have uh, two last questions, and uh, thank you so much for the great insight. So one of the things is precisely about this part of the media. So as an influencer and one of the leading influencers. One of the things when it comes to fintech, and that's one of the things that I'm very focused is the, the way these big media platforms are rewarding or not rewarding people like us. Uh, because let's say, in order to do YouTube channel, we have to spend a lot of resources, time, technology, building, buying things, and as well getting views and promoting it. And as well, we are becoming big brands. You have 200,000 people following you uh, between multiple channels, especially in LinkedIn, that is a massive, difficult challenge to manage. So are you conscious of building your own community and creating a, a sense of community around you and as well building this relationship with the community or you are more uh, passing the research and the great content that you're doing? Because I think this is as well a future that I think we need to build, like you said, on a positive level for technology because in the end of the day, this platform should be rewarding people like you, not just taking out of people like you and as well they need people like us so that's the thing that i think it's particularly interesting and as well for at the moment there was a study um actually most of the studies they're saying is that for instance with one million views on youtube you get around maximum if you're lucky uh one one hundred dollars to one thousand dollars and you have to be very lucky because you have to have a huge machine behind you and the same goes with spotify right now that is creating revenue streams um, but it's really a big challenge. So we have all these big influences that are doing massive effort, but you only really make business out of your influence, out of your media, if you have like at least five to 10 million views or, or followers, otherwise you don't get anything. So that's a big challenge and I respect a lot of people that, like us that are making this because we're creating content. We are followed by a lot of people, but it's a massive challenge. And you in particular, I know that you're not doing like just speaking content from other people. You're building serious content that takes a lot of efforts and a lot of thought leadership and time. So I, so it's not easy to be on the two layers of the research and as well syndicating and pushing it forward. It's very interesting what you said because uh, I've been uh, thinking about this uh, more consciously. Um, and it's about thinking how you, um, you think uh, about your business and and you're working on your business versus b working in the business. So I have to do both. I'm a sole independent uh, content creator and I'm also working with, with my clients. And I don't aspire to monetize, you know, the way that you're mentioning through, you know, the clicks on, on YouTube or or whatever, because I don't think that is, um, I don't think it is, is a way to, to work. Uh, it's definitely a challenge in what respecting, what, what you mentioned about the digital communities is, is a concept that I've been thinking this year. What is my digital community? Is it my followers, my 200,000 followers or not? Because obviously that is a question that one 
must ask because it depends on the algorithm that, you know, whatever it is, LinkedIn or Twitter or wherever you are, uh, chooses to, to, to work in a certain way that, you know, certain people see the content or, or interact. Um, I must uh, confess that I'm in the process of thinking about this and um, gaining some uh, insights and wisdom from our mutual friend, uh, Thomas Power, who is a master in um, building digital communities. So if I were to summarize, I'm rethinking what is my digital community? How am I serving them? And should I redefine that uh, community and, and how I interact with them? Yeah, and I think this is particularly important to the financial models uh, because especially the irony of this is that you are as well you're becoming a media financial platform as well with your content and your outreach. And I think this is probably where we can actually disrupt, but as well create more models that are more sustainable. Because at the moment, all people like us are dependent of sponsorships, depending on a lot of things. But this is a big thing. And I think the financial industry is spending billions of dollars in advertisements and forgets as well that it needs this. And I think that's a very good point. So I want to I wanna push this because I think it's a particularly important point for people like us, but everyone listening to us. Because if people are listening to us, they're doing you know YouTube or in the podcast. And they are, by all means, of course, YouTube is for free, but they are being bombarded by advertisement, bombarded by a lot of things that we don't control. Uh, so I think there's, that it needs to be a more ethical way of us working with these platforms to change it because they are mega trillion dollars companies, some of them, and they have as well to work with people like us. So it's a good point. And as well as a financial media and social point. Uh, so I just want to touch this and I, I'm glad that you, you touched it in a very good way. So last question and a very positive one, looking at the positive part, and you are very positive because of your history and as well the, the way, and I like that. So with COVID-19, um, we have all this acceleration of digital because everyone, right, even most of the countries that were not even thinking to do anything digital, now they are obliged to do it. Uh, there's no other way because we might still be another six months, one year under this or even more, hopefully not. But everyone cannot travel. For us, it's difficult to meet face-to-face. -face. And I know that in a lot of countries, if you don't meet face-to-face, -face, you'll never do a business. This right now has to change. So how do you see this? And as well, on the positive level, how you look at these opportunities as well that come out of these challenges? Dennis, you know, it's true that I've done business without meeting um, people face-to-face uh, -face during this period, which I thought was impossible before it's happened. However, at the same time, I must say that I think all of us are uh, banking on uh, relationships that we built over time, pre-COVID. And uh, if that uh, uh, deposit, if you want, those assets are diminishing every day, then we might be faced uh, with a problem. And I don't see that we can upscale ourselves in terms of being able to really feel the person and, and communicate the way we communicate and feel the person when uh, we meet physically. Uh, I'm sure that that might be the case, you know, later, but 
it's not going to happen in the next three and, and six uh, uh, months. So I think that um, we will find ways to meet physically that are safer and in smaller groups soon. Uh, these will not be the old ways, the conferences typically that you know, make us uh, travel uh, or a very specific business uh, purpose. Um, we, will, we will, you know, there's going to be innovation there. I don't know what it's going to be. It might be physical zones with uh, small um, sort of, um, I can imagine we can call them hotels where we meet for specific themes and maybe we spend time there, like, you know, a week or, or, or 10 days, and we interact in those ways. Um, and it can be a hybrid too. So, you know, 10 of us meet physically, we work for one week together, and we fuse it with the digital interactions that, that we share. So, you know, we are, we are really going to innovate on this front. Can I uh, make an open innova uh, invitation? Do we no, no, I, that's the my, purpose of this. <laughs> do, do we go to my Greek island, you, I, and let's inv uh, uh, invite another four people from different areas, so six of us? Right, we spend one week together and we organize uh, digital interactions while we're physically together and we create amazing network effects and business. No, no, I, I, I take the, 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 invitation. the invitation and as well I pass it to all our audiences because I think, uh, and I think probably passing another uh, uh, probably provocation in a good way to you, I think as well is that be conscious about that community that you have because 200,000 people is more than most of the banks have clients. <laughs> and if you activate 1% or even 0.1% of that is quite a lot of people. So I think we are creating value. And I think these ecosystems that I do with my YouTube channel and that this series and you with yours, and as well, even what I learned from talking with you and thank you for your time is really key because I think we need as well to find ways of creating uh, different economical models. And I believe on that level, I'm very positive. I'm probably more less positive on the technology radical parts that I'm seeing myself. But I think on that, uh, like you said, this ecosystem, you can create it because at the end of the day, you can help a lot of people that are struggling and there's a lot of people struggling. And I remember, for instance, just as, a, as an example, and probably you have case studies with this, is I had a, a case study that I work with an, a, country, a country in Africa, and I suggest to do a conference about fintech, and I create a fintech movement in the country. And it was because I did a conference that I pushed to be made by a lot of people. So, so I think it's, it's really a lot of these things that we can actually do, and we're doing it, but sometimes we have to be conscious how to monetize and create financial models around this. And I think that is where I think your work, and I'll pass the provocation to you, that we should reflect this. Because in the end of the day, sometimes we are so obsessed about talking about these billion dollars or multi-billion dollars companies, and they forget about creating models that are actually more sustainable. And I think it's an area, probably the last uh, uh, 
um, call for you is how do you define as well this sustainability part that you've been bringing in social impact um, and as well all the areas of uh, impact finance? So as the last question and the more positive note to finish. Well, I have to bring you a very concrete example of, uh, um, you know, uh, social impact um, in, in maximizing economic uh, value is always on my mind. And, and, and I always go back to what are my values and practice them in business. I give you one example. I'm a, an advisor to a, a company in Portugal, your home country. Um, and this company is, is very innovative. What they do is they take cork, you know, the, the native yeah. uh, uh, Portuguese tree, and they have they create they manufacture these blocks they're like cubes from cork and uh, they have created uh, specific molds so from these blocks like lego you can build anything you can build furniture you can build separations in your apartment and so on it's called cork brick okay it's it's a new uh, company they did a, a crowdfunding campaign on cedars in in the uk and they were oversubscribed but unfortunately one of the major um, uh, investors wanted to pay cash and the, the owner uh, of the the company said i can't take this right and he had to return all the crowdfunding and cancel all, all the crowdfunding. Wow. Okay. So, so this is, you know, a choice of the entrepreneur to behave in a way that is ethical, if you want. Um, so the company did not get funded, and then later they did another campaign, and, and it worked well. And why am I giving this example? Again, we have the choice to behave correctly and believe that that is the right way. Uh, the story can continue and I can tell you that uh, the investors that came in later uh, proved to be more strategic investors in a way it, it, was, um, it was better. Um, so wherever I can in whatever projects I'm, I'm involved, I try to be with people that have these principles and therefore what they're creating is going to be more sustainable, whether it's with respect to how they treat the people, how they treat the environment, how they, uh, they treat their clients, whether they're transparent and so on. There's a couple of, of, how can I say, principles that I hold strongly and they're more about Integrity and transparency, I would say those are the two uh, main, um, main ones that I use in, in my work. Last thing, just can you tell us the channels? I know that you're quite well known, but it's always good and important to repeat. So YouTube channel, all the channels that you have, if you want to put it all in the, in the, 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 the text they will be, but it's always good to come from you, at least the books and the channels and the places where you want people to find you and as well where you can find your community. 
Sure, sure. So, of course, as you mentioned, I'm on LinkedIn. Um, I share content uh, on a daily basis. Twitter uh, also. I have my Facebook business page, Effie Pilarinu, there too. Um, I on, on Daily Fintech, I write every Tuesday. Um, I have a, a Medium blog too, and I, I write there... Um, every Thursday, and then uh, every Wednesday, I publish on my YouTube channel, Fipilarinu, um, my audio or, or video um, uh, content pieces. And of course, I can share with you, um, uh, you know, all these, these links. And for those that don't have a lot of time, I, I pick three main content pieces every month and send out a newsletter with those uh, content uh, pieces. And uh, people are uh, very welcome to, to subscribe to that uh, mailing list if they don't have time to interact with uh, the daily content that I produce. Well, thank you so much. We'll put all of these links and I'm sure people will find you. And uh, I keep the provocation to start creating a model around your community. And I think all of us need to do that as an urgency. And thank you so much for your precious time and great insights, Effie. Thank you so much, uh, Dennis.